We are delighted that you have chosen to gather with us on this New Year's Eve. One always wonders what a new year will hold. Of course, we do not know. But tonight, we are going to focus our attention on the fact that this year brings us a year closer to the Lord's return. Communion is a time in which we are to show forth the Lord's return, the scripture says, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we want to talk about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. People love to speculate about the Lord's return. Fictionalized Christian books and movies abound with their sensational depictions of what is going to take place when the Lord returns. But the most popular books and movies concerning the Lord's return center on an insatiable interest in seeking to determine when the Lord's return is going to take place. When will it happen? And I don't know, but would it shock you tonight if I said to you that we already know everything that we need to know about the timing of the Lord's return? For 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1, opens with these words, Now concerning the times and seasons, referring to the times and seasons of the Lord's return, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. He's not even addressing the times and the seasons. He says, there's no need for that. In this account, Paul is not writing about the timing of the Lord's return. We may not know all that we would like to know about the timing of the Lord's return, but we know all that we need to know. We know all that we need to know in order to be ready for it. That is, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The thief motif is very prevalent in passages that speak about the Lord's return, and there is a lot of misunderstanding about that imagery of the thief in the night uh, because of some popular books and movies that came out. But as I say, it's a, it's a prevalent thought in the passages that deal with the Lord's return. For example, 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and when the heavens will pass away with a roar. Revelation chapter 3, verse 3, remember then what you have received and heard, keep it, repent, if you will not Wake up, I will come like a thief. Paul says, you are fully aware of that. How are they fully aware? Well, Jesus himself taught that his coming would be like a thief. Matthew 24, 43, be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would have not allowed the house to be broken into. So we want to look at this thief motif tonight and look at that imagery from the perspective of the non-believer and from the perspective of the believer, for they are vastly different. So first of all, what does the Lord's coming as a thief mean with respect to the non-believer? Well, the Lord's coming as a thief means that the non-believer is not expecting and thus not fearing and not ready for Christ's return. Verse 3 says, while people are saying there is peace and security, they are denying any reason 
to fear the Lord's return. They are not looking for, they're not expecting, they don't believe in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in the book of Matthew, it likens it unto the people in Noah's day, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. So right up until the time that the flood came, people were living their lives and not thinking at all about a coming flood or the events that were going to take place. We know that in that time period, Noah was preaching that a flood was coming. He was preaching as he was, in fact, building an ark. And they could watch the progress of that ark. They could see that this ark was nearing completion. But all they did was mock and ridicule Noah's building of the ark. And just as people mock and ridiculed the building of the ark, so too people mock and ridicule the whole concept of Christ's second coming. Second Peter 3, 3 says, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And Second Peter unfolds, that's not true. All things are not continuing the same as they did from the beginning of creation, but they just close their eyes to that fact. They ignore it just as they ignored Noah's building of the ark. Let me just say that one of the contributing factors to people's scoffing concerning the Lord's return is the unfortunate date setting that's occurred in generations and times past. There have been so many wrong uh, depictions and uh, time schedules that have been set for the Lord's return that it's like the boy that calls wolf. There have been so many people that are delineating specific times at which the Lord came, and of course, he didn't come. And so that just adds to the scoffing, that just adds to the ridicule. But the Lord's coming as a thief means that the unbelievers are not anticipating their downfall. At the root of the word translated suddenly is the idea of without anticipation or readiness. 1 Thessalonians 5.3, while people are saying there is peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Sudden. It is unanticipated, although it should be known. All right? God has taught us about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. People have heard about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there are those who don't believe it. So there is an illustration that is given, and that is the illustration of a pregnant woman. A pregnant woman. And if you think about the terminology that's often associated with uh, uh, pregnancy, is one of the euphemisms is that she is expecting, right? We've all heard that phrase, she's expecting, meaning 
that there's an anticipation. She's looking forward to the birth of the child. But even though a mother is looking forward to the birth of a child, and even though we can know that it's nine months, and we can know a lot, a woman doesn't know exactly when she's going to be giving birth until those birth pains happen, until those contractions start. And once the contractions start, then the woman knows, wow, it's, it's time, it's time. Uh, I remember our first child, Sarah, being born. And we were looking forward to uh, Sarah's being born, and we took some uh, steps. We had a nursery prepared. Uh, we had a bag set aside to take to the hospital. We were ready for the Lord for the birth to come, and uh, I remember it well because uh, Bonnie had a doctor's appointment that afternoon, and she went to uh, see the uh, gynecologist and said that she could go any time. She could go any time. Well. She got home and said, the doctor said I could go anytime. It just so happened that I had a major paper due the next day. And I always relied on Bonnie to type my papers. This is pre-computer. This is a whole different world, people, from what it is today. And I had this handwritten paper with the footnotes, etc. And she started to type. And she said, oh, I, 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 think, I, I think I just felt a contraction. And I said, no, you didn't. Keep typing. You know? <laughs> and you know, and uh, so she's, she's uh, typing, and she's feeling another contraction. And I said, hang in there. You know, you, the first one, you never go right away. And uh, I wasn't the most uh, wonderful husband at that moment. And I had procrastinated. I should have gotten that paper done earlier, anticipating the fact that Bonnie could go into delivery. And then I finally said, you know, you, you, we better stop and get ready to go uh, to the hospital. Well, expecting but yet not expecting. Looking for it but yet not really anticipating when it was going to take place is the imagery. Well, the non-believer doesn't look for it at all. They're, they're, they are not expecting it to take place. The Lord's coming as a thief means that the non-believers are not ready for Christ's return and thus will experience judgment and wrath. The non-believer will be undone. For it says in verse 3 that sudden destruction will come upon them. They are going to experience an eternal judgment. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to those who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting in vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. That's what's in view here. This eternal destruction, the damnation that is going to occur for those that have not placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The non-believer will have no recourse at that time. For it says in the end of verse 3 of 1 Thessalonians 5, and they will not escape. They will not escape. There is no second chance. There is no opportunity to believe at that point. The die is cast. The time is past. 
Judgment is what follows. They are going to be excluded from the presence of God. So that's the thief in the night as it relates to the non-believer. Now let's talk about the thief in the night as it relates to the believer. What does the Lord's coming not as a thief mean for the believer? For first and foremost, the Lord's coming is not like a thief to the believer. And I can't emphasize that enough. Is not like a thief to the believer. Look at verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. So when we talk about the thief in the night, it's in relationship to the non-believer. It's not the believer. The believer is not to be surprised like that of a thief breaking into a house. The thief imagery, therefore, is not applicable to the believer. There is a stark contrast in this passage of the Lord's coming as it relates to a believer and the Lord's coming as it relates to the non-believer. Why doesn't the Lord come as a thief to the non-believer? Well, it's because the believer is informed concerning the Lord's return. Verse 4, but you are not in darkness, brothers. Uh, These things have not been hidden from you. You have been told about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have been enlightened, as it were. You have been taught that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return, and you have believed that. And the believer is to be living in anticipation of the Lord's return. Verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Now that doesn't mean that we know exactly when he's going to come, uh, nor that we might are going to be surprised when he comes, for the scripture teaches us that we will be surprised, but it's different in the sense that we have been anticipating it. We are ready in the fact that we have submitted ourselves to the Lord Jesus. We have believed the gospel. We have been looking forward to the Lord's return. So, what does it mean to be living in light of the Lord's return? It means that knowing and believing that the Lord will return affects the way we live our lives. Verse 5, for you are children of light, children of the day. And so we are to be alert and keep our wits about us. Verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. The non-believer who is in spiritual darkness does what one does who craves the darkness. That is, they sleep at night and they get drunk. And they're drunk at night. So this evening we have an incredible object lesson as we just think about this new year and the way it's being celebrated. And there are two extremely different perspectives on life. The non-believer, this is a night of revelry. This is a night of debauchery. This is a night of drunkenness. This is a night of forgetting about all responsibilities and duties, and certainly not thinking about the things of God, but just giving themselves over to what they consider to be pleasurable. 
That is contrasted with you sitting here tonight in a pew, sober, listening to a message that's talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is returning. And you're going to be taking communion in just a few moments in which we are speaking of Christ's death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his coming again. And in so doing, you're ready. You're ready. We all might be surprised if it were to happen before we went home. But nonetheless, we're ready. We're ready. We are to prepare ourselves for spiritual battle, verse 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. That is, we should understand that the world we live in is not a helper to our faith. The people around us are not going to be pointing us to Christ. So there is this (coughs) duty on our part to remain watchful, to Remain awake to not forget about these spiritualities of the Lord's return. And then it means that we should not be fearing Christ's return. Verse 9, for God has not destined us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The wrath that is being referred to in this verse is God's eternal judgment, for it's already been alluded to in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, there's a context for these verses. And in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, it reads, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thessalonians 2.14, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them at last. So here is this wrath, this this eternal judgment that is going to come upon the non-believer, but we will not experience that eternal judgment, for we have placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is nothing to fear as we anticipate the Lord's return. For the child of God, it's rejoicing. For the child of God, it means to be in God's presence with God's people. It means the blessings of salvation. For 1 Thessalonians 5.10 says, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we would live with him. Whether it is daytime, whether it is nighttime, it doesn't matter when the Lord returns. For the bottom line is, we'll be with him. That's what it means for us. So, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 makes its own application. It says, Therefore, 
encourage one another, and build one another up just as you are doing. So encourage one another. Build one another up. Uh, Tonight, I hope it is encouragement as you think about another year, and as I said, we don't know what it holds, but uh, we know who holds it, uh, and Jesus is coming again. And as I said, we're one year closer to that great reality. And uh, I trust that you have complete confidence that Jesus is coming again. And the scripture says that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. You need to know that he's coming again. And so, be ready. We're to be confident in the Lord's return. We should be living our lives in anticipation of the Lord's return, even as you are gathered here this evening. And we do not fear the Lord's return. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the promise of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that that encompasses. Uh, we thank you for a new heaven. We thank you for a new earth. We, we thank you for a restoration. We thank you for a removal of all the curse. We thank you, Lord, that for the child of God, it means everlasting life with you. And Lord, we also know that for those who have not placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's destruction. It's damnation. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us, even this coming year, uh, to name the name of Christ, to put on the helmet of salvation that is described in this passage, uh, to arm ourselves with faith, and tell others about the Lord Jesus, so that when they are in God's presence, uh, they will not be banished, but they would be welcomed and spend eternity with him. Uh, Lord, bless this communion now. Uh, May it nourish us spiritually as we reflect on all that we enjoy because of the death, resurrection, and coming of the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Tonight we are partaking of communion. Uh, If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're welcome to participate. If you don't, we ask that you refrain, not because of any rule that we have, but because of the warnings of the Word of God. But let me just say to you tonight, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, you can simply place your faith and trust in Him, even this very night, believing that He died in order to take away your sins. And if you trust in Him and Him alone for the forgiveness of sins and believe in uh, His death, His resurrection, His coming again, you too can have eternal life and be with Him forever. I'm going to ask the brethren to come forward at this time uh, to serve uh, the elements.